Hello, Rock Bible Church. I imagine you all are yelling hello, and I'm pretending that I can hear you. Um, do you recognize me? Do you recognize me at all? Do you, are you sure? Yeah, look at that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had a fight with the, uh, with the Clippers. I lost. Actually, no, I won. You should see the Clippers. Uh, good morning. Welcome to Rock Bible Church, and uh, I'm glad to have you here. I hope that you're ready. This morning's going to be a little intense because uh, we're back in our series uh, on doctrines, <clears throat> and we're doing marriage, and we're doing sex. Uh, two weeks ago, we started. This week, we need to we need to hit a little bit more on the topic and um, get us to the right page because uh, probably one of the most confusing topics uh, for our culture is is that of sex and. Man, for some reason, we, we have ignored what God has said about it, and it's time for us to know and follow. And so that's what we're looking at. Uh, I hope you'll join me uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. That's going to be our passage this morning. We're due uh, about a little over half of the chapter. Um, we're going to start in verse 1 and, and get going from there. Uh, but before we do, let's pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for our continued ability to praise you, worship you, come together in a different way. And pray, Lord, we be reminded that you are the focus of the church. You are what hold us together. So whether we are absent from one another or close by, you're in control. You're taking care of us. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to guide us, especially in these times. Help us to work on our relationship with you, no matter what our circumstances as I pray, Lord, for this morning, difficult topic for some, uh, and for some, a great topic. Pray, pray that you make it clear that your word would uh, build us up, edify us, guide us. I pray we come out um, reassured and excited about our relationship with you, wanting to move forward. So pray all this, Lord, in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Uh, Corinthians is a book to a church Paul wrote, and uh, they were struggling. They were having a hard time with a bunch of different things. And the reality is uh, they were getting a lot of things wrong. And uh, they were trying, but overcompensating sometimes. And, well, they, they would write back to Paul and, and ask him questions and things. And that's part of where this passage comes from. Uh, Paul's going to respond to something that they've written to him, and then he's going to start mapping out, really, sex in marriage, and marriage in general. Um, and it's one of the longer passages we have on marriage in Scripture, as far as a definitive thing. Um, so let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, okay, so I need you to understand, he's about to quote what they wrote. It's not something that he is generating. He's saying, hey, I remember you, you sent this to me. Uh, and, and he's got to clarify something and fix it. Because they have gone hog wild with their promiscuity and all the things that are going on. And so some of them had said, well, we've got to really correct this. And that's true. We've got to correct it. We want to be on the right side of Scripture and our relationship with the Lord and our faith and the whole thing. And, and Paul says, hey, you know, you wrote this. You wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. See, some of the people had come up with this idea. It's like, well, you know what? I'll tell you what. This whole sex thing is so out of control. Why don't, why don't we just not even touch each other anymore? Let's just cut the whole thing off. Shut it down. And Paul says, yeah, remember when you wrote that? No. No, we're not doing that. Okay, and I, I want to make sure we understand sometimes people take scripture and they quote it. And this is a, a, a verse where you would get it wrong. If you just quoted just that sentence, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's not necessarily true. Paul's responding to that phrase because it's something they wrote to him. And what he says, uh, verse two, but. Now, why is the but there? Why is the but there? The but is there to contradict what they said. 
He's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop right there. What do you mean you can't have sex relations with a woman? He says, no. But because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should. This is a very important should because they wrote to him with their own should. Hey, should a man not have sexual relations with a woman? Paul says, wait a minute, no. If you're talking about shoulds, let me give you a new should. You should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. This is what should happen. If you want to talk about sex, well, guess what? Here's here's the plan. Have your own wife or have your own husband, depending on your gender. This is how it should go. And I want us to be careful because this, outside of sexuality, this applies to probably most things in our relationship with the Lord. You have to be careful that you don't take something and in your response to it, overreact. Oh gosh, you know, money's bad. It's the root of all the greed. Well, I'm not going to have money anymore. I'm going to give everything away. It's like, well, wait a minute. You've overreacted. Let's be careful that we don't overreact in so many things. In fact, today's day and age in what we're dealing with as a culture, I mean, is there an area in life you can look and see a lack of overreaction? Pretty much any area you look look at in life, people are overreacting. I mean, politics is the easy one. But finances, hobbies, there's so many things that people pursue. They've, they've overreacted. They, they've gone from one extreme, and they swing all the way over to the other extreme. And we've got to be careful that we don't do that in everything, not just in our sexuality. All right? So that's an over, overlying principle that I want us to make sure we see. He says, have your own wife or have your own husband. And then he goes on to clarify. Because when you have your own wife or your own husband, how do you act? Right? Verse 3, husband should give his wife her conjugal rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband. Are conjugal rights an actual thing? Apparently they are. There's a verse. There are, there's an actual need. There's an actual design that God intended to have happen. And for us to say, well, you know, it's, it's too messy. It's too dangerous. It's too easy to misconstrue or mess up. So let's just avoid it altogether. Well, that's like kids, right? Kids are messy and difficult, and it's too easy to mess it up, and they frustrate you, and they cost a lot of money, and so let's just not have kids ever. No. Then you miss out on kids. They're like one of the best things that ever happened. Amen? Right? You, you miss out on sex because you just throw it out the door. You miss out on kids. You miss out on so many things. You miss out on connection with your spouse. And Paul's saying to you, hey, wait a minute. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, literally. Let's look at this and let's do it the right way. Right? Verse 4. The wife, for the wife, does not have authority over her own body. But the husband does. Oops. I can hear, I can hear the hair on the back of wives' necks going, raising. Right? It's okay, ladies. Here we go. Likewise... The husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. This is kind of interesting. You know what Paul is actually pretty much saying to them? He said, you said, hey, it's not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. Tell you what, you don't get to make that decision. One, not how God designed it. Two, your body is not your own. It actually belongs to your spouse. So whether you have sex or not, it's kind of up to your spouse, not to you. Whoa. Welcome to being third on the list at best. Right? God, your spouse, you just dropped down to number three. Right? I hope you like third place. You still get a ribbon. Right? Participation award. Uh, therefore, verse, verse five, it says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. We saw this verse two weeks ago when we started this that you may devote yourself to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Can Satan tempt us and do we have lack of self-control? Yes, and should we take breaks once in a while for a limited time so that we can be spiritually devoted? And 
you know, maybe doing ministry or something like that? Yes, absolutely. But here's the phrase I want you to see. Very beginning, first phrase. Do not deprive one another. What's that imply? What's the uh, implied assumption in the statement? To not have sex is to deprive something, to withhold something's missing. Just don't do that. Anytime you try to go without something for a while, you starve yourself, you start to act irrationally. Like if you go out without food for too long, what happens? You get hangry. Do you know anybody? Do you know anybody that gets hangry? Me? I'm, I'm the poster child for hangry. If I don't eat for a while, I can feel it. My body chemistry changes. I don't like people. I don't want to talk to anybody. And then when I get food... It's, I'm like one of those dogs that's out of control. Don't get close to his bowl while he's eating. He's like, leave me alone. Don't talk to me. I got to eat. Uh. Right? Because we, some, I've been deprived. What about when you're thirsty? Your body starts shutting down because you don't have water. You're not hydrated. What if that were true about other things in your life? What if you deprive yourself of social interaction and kept everybody six feet away? For a really long time, let's say weeks, maybe two months. What are you missing? Is it driving you crazy? Absolutely. What if you're overreacting to things, spending too much time on the internet, looking at screens? Does it affect your eyes? Guys, I'm, I, I, hope we, I hope you like Brent. He might be taking over because my eyes are falling apart. I'm looking at screens so much, I can't see anything anymore. And pretty soon, I don't know, I'm just going to have to turn everything over. Right? When we overreact or when we deprive ourselves, we put ourselves in a bad position and we start acting irrationally. And here's the problem. We're human. We are prone to dysfunction. We, we overreact, we chase things, and we overdo them, and then we wonder why, like, what went wrong? Here's the thing. If you want to overreact in anything, overreact in your pursuit of the Lord. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you most important thing I can say to you about your sexuality. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, gee, Scott, that sounds great on Sunday morning, but functionally, how do I do that? Well, that's why we started two weeks ago, and that's why we're going to keep going right now, because you need the how-tos, and that's what we're getting into. Do not deprive one another. Why? Because you lack self-control. You say it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Guess what? That's a path that heads down to lack of self-control. Because you're going to act out at some point. Because something's being deprived. And if you're one of those that says, well, you know, we don't really need to have sex. Sex is just really mainly for procreation. And it's an unnecessary thing. And I guess we could engage. And it's really more of a duty than anything. Guess what? You're wrong. It's not how God designed it. And there's so much more going on. I would ask you questions like, um, psychologically, what goes on in you when you're deprived of sex for a time? Socially, how do you interact with other people when you're deprived of something for too long? Your ability to interpersonally connect with another person. What are you lacking in that when you are depriving one of the ways you interact? Actually, we should be looking at how do we exercise self-control? And that's what Paul's about to get into. Watch this. Verse 6. Now, as a concession, not a command. It's not a command. It's a concession. He's like, well, we're going to make a little room for you. Why? Because you're human and you sin. Right? Is this a good thing or is it a concession? It's a concession. I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am. Paul is single. He's sworn himself to celibacy or whatever. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single, as I am. He's saying, look, if you're single and that's working for you, stay single and maybe that'll work for you. He said, but very few have that gift. 
Each person has their own gift, right? But watch what he says this. We're about to come upon one of my youth pastor's favorite sayings. Not my youth pastor as in my employee at this church. I mean, when I was a kid, my youth pastor above me used to say this all the time. He used to quote this to us all the time, right? To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it's good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, there's that word again, self-control, they should marry. We just got shit on again. Earlier it said you should have your own wife or your own husband. Here it says you should marry. Why? For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. My youth pastor used to say that all the time. It's better to marry than to burn. Better to marry than to burn. If you're burning, if you have any kind of passion, if you have any kind of desire for the opposite sex, that's normal. Now, is there a process a path you should be on, like learning how to interact just with uh, communication skills and being responsible and having a job and managing your money and all those kind of hygiene and blah, blah, blah. Are all those things that you should be uh, pursuing first? Yeah. You don't get those down right. Guess what? You're never going to get to marry, right? Because you haven't got beyond yourself. But there is a progression that's meant to lead to marriage. And a healthy marriage there's sex. They cannot exercise self-control. They should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Who gave you the passion? Heisman? Jesus, right? God gave us passion. He gave us spouses. He gave us a pursuit on purpose. And guess what? Marriage is part of that, right? Verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, uh, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. Oh, we've been, we've got another should. What's the design? Stay with your husband. That's the, you know, and I've talked to divorced people, I've talked to married people, and I've talked to single people, right? We've just covered all three groups, right? You know, they all agree on? You should stay married when you can. As far as it depends on you, if possible, you should stay married. We all kind of understand that. Now, life happens, and we're sinful, and we make mistakes, and we hurt people, and we can be abusive, and sometimes it all hits the fan, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in divorce. What do we do then? Well, you come back next week, because we're going to hit divorce next week. But right now, Paul's de- defining what the, what, the, what the pretty picture looks like, what the best scenario looks like, what the goal is. And we have to always remember in our relationship with the Lord, you could talk about all the options, and man, we love to talk about options. Hey, can I this? Can I that? Am I allowed to eat this? Am I allowed to go here? Can I spend my money on this? And man, I'm tired of that conversation. Tell me about should. Tell me about goal. Tell me about perfect. Tell me what God actually wants, rather than, yeah, but can I? You're looking for excuses to blow it up, to destroy it, to fall off the cliff. And I'm wondering, when you're riding the road on the cliff, do you want to get closer to the valley or do you want to hug the mountain? Define the road that you're supposed to be on rather than, how close can I get to the edge? And gee, that's a nice looking bush. Maybe I should go check that out. And gone. See the story lately? Somebody came out of their confinement and their shelter in place, and they were outside, and they wanted to make sure everybody know. And they got out on the, in, in the open and got their little selfie out and got next to this valley and took a little picture of everything, and they slipped and they fell. Gone. They got clo- too close to the danger. I want to know how close can we get to the safety, to the secure, to the healthy, the happy, the purposeful, and that's what God's talking about when it comes to marriage and when it comes to um, our sexuality, right? For the rest, the wife should not be separated from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. These are the shoulds. If best case scenario, this is what we should be doing. And the husband should not divorce his wife. I've yet to meet anybody who actually enjoyed the process of divorce. That makes sense. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Wow. 
just took away one of your arguments. Well, they don't believe. I just feel like it's not right for us to be together. Nope. God just took that excuse. If you're married, stay married. Yeah, but they don't believe in God. They won't go to church with me. So, go to church by yourself when it's permitted socially by the county. Right? Uh, he, to rest, I say, if it's an unbeliever, she consents to live with him. He should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Wait, I thought we were talking about sex and marriage. How did we get on to faith? Easy. Can you make that connection? Can you take those two things and put them together? I thought we were talking about sex. Now all of a sudden we're talking about faith. Why? Is that normal? You know why that happened? Because Paul wants to make sure that you understand the most important thing about your marriage, about your sexuality, about you, is your relationship with the Lord. Do you believe or not? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Right? That's why we have a worship leader, so that I don't have to. But you realize what you sang earlier? Those of you that signed in on time and caught the worship, not those of you who signed on just for the sermon. Ooh, ooh, pastor just hit me. Jesus paid it all. To all, all to him I owe. That means everything. You're having trouble in your marriage. You're having trouble in your sexuality. You're having trouble or questions or confusion or there's mystery. My first question is, how's your relationship with the Lord? Are you pursuing him? Are you giving him all? Super important question. And by the way, that applies to everything. Your finances, your relationship with your family, your work ethic, yada, yada, blah, 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 all the things I'm supposed to say. Right? How's your relationship with the Lord? And we're going to hit this back in a minute when we get to the fill-ins. Uh, otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. <laughs> your kids are holy. I know you don't believe it. <laughs> your kids are holy. No matter what, no matter who your husband is, no matter who your wife is, no matter how often you go to church, there's a shot for your kids. They got a chance at believing and being holy, no matter the experiences or the past or whether they're off a little bit or whether you're off a little bit. And that's great news because we know you're off a little bit. We all are, right? But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. If somebody leaves the relationship, you're kind of stuck. Now, should you make an effort? Yeah, it says don't divorce your husband. Don't divorce your wife. Should you make an effort? Should you try? Should you go to counseling? Should you ask for help? Should you submit or sacrifice or plead or change your behavior hey there's an idea right make it a good scenario for them and see if they want to try and make it work but at the point that they say i don't want this to work anymore guess what they're gone it's over we go back to that earlier argument where it says they are in charge of your body they've made a decision about their your body they don't want their body around your body anymore respect their decision and it's time to move on and that's when we help you, we pray for you, we give you healing, you come and the church embraces you and we, we try to help you move on to the next thing. And at that point, move on to the next thing. You might need to get remarried. Why? Because you were designed for marriage. You have conjugal needs and rights and you shouldn't be depriving yourself and blah, blah, blah. Move forward. We're going to get into that more next week when we touch uh divorce and some other things all right in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved god has called you to what say it at home out loud i'm going to read this again you're going to say it out loud you, this is the interactive portion of the morning okay i can't hear you but i'm going to i'm going to trust you because i need you to hear this i need you to say it it's not part of the feelings later so we got to cover it right now all right god has called you to peace 
Is your pursuit of sexuality, marriage, your relationship, is your pursuit generating peace, promoting peace, feeding peace? And how you think and how you talk to them and how you bridle your emotions and how you control your passions, are you breeding peace? It's a great question. In fact, when we talked several weeks ago, one of the primary purposes of marriage is to nourish and cherish. I made a big deal about it when we covered it back then. You should go back and see it if you haven't listened to it already. But when you nourish and cherish, guess what it breeds? Peace. For you do not know, wife, whether you will save your husband, and you do not know, husband, whether you will save your wife. And guess what? You're not responsible for that. Their relationship with the Lord, their marriage, their sexuality is based on their decision, their thinking, their emotions, their passion. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. But know that you're only a piece of the equation. You are not the deciding factor. Make sure you get to a place where you understand that. Only verse, 30, uh, verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. It says, look, God's put you in a place. Live there. Do there well. Where you are, where you find your feet, do a great job. In fact, if you find yourself in a place where nobody's at your church and you need to get excited and do a good job and spend time on your sermons and make sure it's worth it, do a good job. Why? Because that's where God put you. That's where he's called you. And that's all you got. Do what you can with what he gave you. Amen? All to him I owe. That's what we got to do. That's what he got to do. Are you giving it your all? To him and to your spouse. And then watch this. This is my rule in all the churches. Whoops. Oh, we just, he just eliminated another excuse. I love this verse right here. This is my rule for all the churches. Why? Because we like to say, well, you know, culturally it was different back then. Oh, you know, it doesn't really apply now because times have changed. You know, all these little excuses. Paul says, nope, all churches. This is a rule for all churches. How many is all? All, (laughs) right? There's no way out. Your relationship with the Lord is primary. Your relationship with your spouse has rules, has things that work and things that do not. And sexuality is part of it kind of weird. We started about talking about sexuality and now we're, we're totally off the topic. We're into our relationship with the Lord and living where you, God's placed you. What if your perspective was my job is to make it work right here where I am with who God has given me? Your focus would totally change. Instead of looking for a way out or looking to blame them for what they did or did not do, you'd be looking at What's my responsibility? How can I be effective? What am I bringing to the table? It's a great question. I sit and I meet with couples before they get married. And if I'm doing your wedding ceremony, I'm meeting with you at least four times, probably five. And one of the questions I love to ask couples, and if you're going to meet with me anytime soon, here you go. You get a cheat sheet, early, early information, right? Preview. You ask a couple that's about to get married, what do you like? Tell me about your future spouse. What do you like about him? Why are you marrying him, right? And they come with this big, long list and paragraphs and cheats and write up a bunch of stuff. And you know what? Quite frankly, I got tired of hearing it because it's always the same thing. Oh, they're wonderful. They're so smart. They're caring. Sense of humor. Oh, they're beautiful. I just like the way they got this little dimple in their cheek. Blah, blah, blah. Yada, yada. So here's the question I ask him now. What are you bringing to the marriage? What do they get out of it? Because every single guy, every single guy, girl I meet that's getting married, I ask him, hey, why do you like this person? They got a huge list, and it's always awesome, and it's amazing. And I know why they're attracted to each other. But here's one of the hard questions that we seldom think about. How are you attractive? them 
How will they benefit from being married to you? What a great question. I try to ask myself that question. <laughs> How is Julie benefiting from being married to me? It's a rough one to answer sometimes, but I, I try to stick to it, right? Honey, don't tell me how I'm doing right now. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Let's get into this. Uh, we, we've got about seven different things I want to cover here, and we're going to fly through them. But um, in, in God, marriage, sex, and you, our doctrine of marriage part four, what do we need to know? Sex was created to be a bunch of different things. Two weeks ago, we started that definition. This week, we're going to chase that definition a little more. Last time it was out of Ephesians. This time we're out of uh, Corinthians. And and the first thing that I want you to see is that sex is created to be good. Well, Scott, that's a pretty easy one. I I mean, I know sex is great, right? (laughs) Awesome. No, no, no. Here's here's what I want you to understand. You know, a lot of culture thinks that sex is questionable. And it makes total sense to us. Why? Because you look at sex and culture and it's out of control. Websites and magazines and pursuit and double meaning and songs and all this kind of stuff, magazine covers and man, it's out of control. There's a lot of people that are scared of sex or they think it's destructive and what, and guess what? Here's the reality. Sex can be dangerous, destructive, damaging, abusive. There are so many ways for it to go wrong. And that's why I have to remind you what Paul had to remind the Corinthians at the very beginning of this passage. He says, oh, no, no, no. Sex is not bad. Sex is not this thing that we got to just totally cut off because it's not good for a man to have sexual relations with him. No, by design, originally, sex was meant to be good. And the man and the woman were both naked and they were not ashamed. We learned that at the very beginning. Sex is meant to be good. And if you're not having good sex, I want to say pursue the Lord and help your spouse pursue the Lord and you should get back to a better place. But ultimately, the argument in verses 1 and 2, 3 and 4 as well, are all Paul trying to get us back to this thing that, no, sex by design is supposed to be right and good and healthy. The question is, is our pursuit of sex right and good and healthy? Sex is not wrong, just our pursuit of it sometimes is wrong. It's a very important distinction to make. Because if you think sex is bad, then when you have urges or passions or things like that or thoughts creep in and you start feeling guilty because, ah, there's something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not a sex addict. You're a healthy human designed with all the passions and desires, conjugal rights and needs that you should not be deprived of. Period. That's the starting foundation for what sex is supposed to be. And we need to be close to the Lord so that we understand how He wants it to work so that it can be an experience you have that is good. See, sex is good. Our experience with it is not always is. Right, so how do how do we make it good? How do we experience the good in it? Right, uh, one we 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 start off by knowing that sex was created to be good. Two, we understand that sex was created to be in one marriage, in one marriage. Ah, oh, we I don't know why we get this wrong. Verse two. Do you remember what verse two said? Each man should have his own wife, and each woman have her own husband. Each. When we say each, does that give you the feeling of singular or plural? You know, each man is man, singular or plural. His own. Does that sound singular or plural? Well, why does the Bible talk about men with multiple wives throughout the whole? It's just all over the Old Testament because men are dumb. Humans have sinned for as long as we've been from the garden on, and we make bad decisions and bad choices. But what does Paul say? The design is for one man, one woman. Have your own, singular, 
period, in a marriage. In fact, go back to the very beginning of the book, Genesis, for the man, singular, shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, singular, and the two shall be multiple? No, one, singular. I'm so sick of this. Everybody's wondering, why is sex out of control? We got websites, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because we've lost the singular part of it. Oh, but I should have freedom and I should be able to experience and I need to go shopping. You need to try all these different things. No. No. That's like saying, I should try eating everything. How's your stomach going to do when you start eating a chair? Or rotten food? Or poison? No, we don't do every. We do specific. It applies to marriage. What if sex was designed only to work well, long-term, in a committed relationship with one partner? How would you figure that out? Next week? You can figure that out by next week? No. Here's how you find it out. You be committed for life to one partner. After 25 years, would it start to make a little more sense to you? Maybe. Would you have all the answers? No. Why? Because you haven't done it for life yet. When you run off and cheat and have a different... When you know what you've done? You've, you've thrown a fly in the soup. Then you eat the soup and you're like, I don't feel so good. Yeah, you messed with the, the recipe. One marriage. Sex was created to be in one marriage. Well, gosh, Scott, that's so exclusive and limiting. Yes, you're getting closer. All right, uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. We covered this two weeks ago. I'm not sure you've, you've seen it before. Here it is. You shall not commit adultery. Yes, but that was so many thousands of years ago, Scott, and it was some old guy in a different culture, and they didn't even value women back then, and blah, blah, blah. No. Who said this? God. What is adultery? By definition, adultery is sex outside of marriage. So should you be having sex when you're dating? No. Yeah, but what do I, well, I want to see what the experience is like with them before I marry them. No. No. If you want the milk, buy the cow. All right? You shall not commit adultery. All right? God was very clear from the very beginning, from Genesis to Exodus, all the way up through Paul, it's supposed to be good, but it's, it's good when it's in one marriage, right? Number three, sex was created to be with one partner. To each his own, verses three through five. Look at this. It says, the husband should give to his wife, her, singular, conjugal rights, and likewise, the wife, singular, to her husband, singular. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but the wife does. Do, do not deprive one another. One, and it actually says the word one, and one partner. You want to know why sexuality goes to immorality? When you start experimenting, and when you start, when you let the experiment escape from the lab, the infection goes crazy. Do you know, actually, this whole um, shelter in place thing is one of the greatest things for your learning curve on sexuality? Sleep with your spouse and everybody else keep six feet away. When it comes to your sexuality, you need to social distance by six feet from everybody but your spouse. Well, I don't have a spouse yet, or I don't have a spouse anymore. Exactly. Stay six feet away until you get a spouse. 
If you don't have a spouse, you should be working on yourself to a place where you're attractive enough. You bring something to them that they would benefit from, where they would want to marry you. And then, then you're allowed to get within six feet of them. All right? I know that's a little bit analogous, and you're kind of, you know, Scott's being dorky, but mm, the reality is there's biblical principles right there we should all know and be following. Proverbs 5, 18 says it this way. Look at your, look up there, right? Proverbs 5, 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Why do you have to be told that? You're told that so that when you're old, you remember who is the wife of your youth. The assumption is that you are still with that wife, that you are committed to that wife, that you are rejoicing, that your fountain is blessed when over time, lifetime, with one partner in one marriage, you see what that builds into, what that becomes when it ages like wine and ferments. That's when Song of Solomon starts making sense. Remember Song of Solomon? Her lips are like, and oh, my husband, he come, he's brought me into his chamber, that whole book. Woo! It's a little hot. You know who understands that? People who understand that sex is good and it's meant to be in one marriage and have stayed with one spouse and they've done it over a long period of time. And they're starting to say, whoa, this actually makes sense. I'm starting to get some of this. And you can enjoy it when you're young and you can start enjoying it more as you get older. What if sex was more than just a physical exchange? What if there was an emotional piece to it, a psychological piece to it? What if there was a physiological thing that went on in your body and that over time you've trained yourself to where the physical exchange is actually only part of the equation now, where before it was like the pursuit, and over time you mature and grow to where, wow, I'm the connectivity in many different areas of who you are as a person and theirs as well starts to open up larger parts of the picture for you. Enjoy the wife of your youth because you still have her and you're still investing in her and she is the greatest thing for you. Whoa. Well, with that were true, how would you know? Act like it's true now and you'll figure it out as you go. That's the thing, right? With one partner. Uh, number four, sex was created to be mutually agreed and pursued. It was Created to be mutually agreed and pursued. Verse three and four, you mutually, like we're supposed to, hey, one wife, one, one partner, right? And then it gets in, you don't have authority over each other. Well, if, if she has authority over me and I have authority over her, when's anything ever gonna happen? When you agree, when you mutually agree, oh, and by the way, you should be pursuing it as well. What should be pursuing? I thought it was just a business transaction. No, let's look at Song of Solomon, right? This is dangerous. The time you open this book is dangerous. Here we go. This is chapter 7. We're like, we're way into the book at this point. They're, they're past hot and heavy already. They're talking about each other in ways that only married people should talk about each other. And watch, watch this. You've heard the phrase, I am my beloved and he is mine. I am my beloved and he is my... There's a song. I don't remember what it is. I'm not going to ask Bryce to do it. Anyways, there's that song because it's quoted several times. In verse uh, 10 of chapter 7, it says it differently. I am my beloved and his desire is for me. This is the future queen. This is the bride. This is her speaking. And what does she say? I am my beloved. This is a decision that she has made. But watch the second line. His desire is for me. How does she know that? You know how she knows that? He has pursued her. For six and a half chapters, he has pursued her. It's very clear to her. In fact, her, his pursuit of her is so evident. He is engaged, attentive, listening, responding, that whole thing to a level where she can say, you know what, in a song, with emotion, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. I know it. 
because he's shown it. That's pursuit, men. How are you pursuing your wife? It's a great question. What works for her and what don't work, doesn't work for her? You don't know? No problem. You have the best resource for answering that question. Her. She's the best resource. Ask her. What's working, hon? What's not working? What do you want from me? How do we connect? How should I respond? Right? Uh, Song of Solomon, uh, that's verse, chapter 7, verse 10. There's another one. Right? Listen to what she says here. This is, the, this is the wife speaking again. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Whoa. What's going on there? Well, this is chapter 2. We're right at the beginning of the book. And she's talking about her husband. And she's about to get married. And she's having all these fantasies of what he's like and what it's going to be like and anticipation. And she's excited and the whole thing. And here's, here's one of the things that comes out of that learning curve for her. She says, wait, I got to stop this whole thing with my husband for a second. And I got to address all the other women. She stops and turns to all the other women and says, hey, this passion thing, this love thing, this sexuality thing, this marriage thing, don't, don't stir it up. Don't awaken it until it's the right time. Because you awaken it at the wrong time, in the wrong environment, with the wrong people, you're going to be in trouble. You know what she's saying? This, pa- this thing is so overwhelming and I'm so excited about with my spouse that, guys, everybody, don't do this when either anybody else. Pursue him only. Wait till it awakens and when it's the right time with the right person and you're long-term committed and you got a ring and you have a ceremony, we're committed. Then run with it. And, and run with it like the gazelles or the does of the field. How cool is that? You know, she's having a dream uh, and she has these fantasies and the whole thing. You know what? All of the things in Song of Solomon, you know, every single thing that she fantasizes about, you know who the subject of her fantasy is? Her husband. The whole time. She's not reading romance novels or streaming stuff on the internet, on Netflix, or any of those things of these fake relationships that are totally scripted and written to pull at your heartstrings and to stir up that love thing in you and get you to compare and contrast between what you have and what you're watching. And ladies... It's deadly because you know what you're pursuing? Not your husband. You're pursuing a fantasy, a dream. And you know what? We get all angry with men and we talk about porn and the internet and all this kind of stuff. How wrong that is. You know what? Ladies, it's equally bad for you. And I will say it out loud. Guys, don't go on the internet for anything sexual ever, no matter what, for the rest of your life, period. Okay? Now, is it fair for me to say Ladies, don't do that either. And for almost all of you ladies, you're not looking for porn or nakedness, whatever. There's the emotional, the fantasy, the relational connect. Get sucked into these things that are, oh gosh, my husband's not like this. No one's like that. Make your spouse the object of all your fantasies. Well, I don't have a spouse yet then you should not be living in a fantasy world. You should be living in a reality world of getting to a place where you get to a marriage and then you can enjoy the things that are supposed to be awakened at that time. Until then, stay away from fantasy. Oh, so, so what you're saying, Scott, once I get married and get a spouse, then we can pursue all these fantasies and dreams. No! Why would you do that when you have an actual reality? And one of the greatest things you need to understand about your marriage and your sexuality thing, reality is totally different than the garbage, the crap that you read in books and see in movies and the whole thing. And all of that des- stuff is designed to tug at you and play with your passions so that you buy more and they make money. It's about money, period. 
It's a greed of the industry to take advantage of you and awaken something in you that was never meant to be awakened. And when you awaken it in the wrong ways without your partner or by yourself or with the wrong person, you are playing to fantasies and passions that are going to get you in trouble. You are lighting a fire. You are letting the virus out of the lab. And it will kill you. It will destroy you. It is one of the most deadly things on the planet. I am more worried about your sexuality than this virus ever. The virus could kill you. Your sexuality could take your soul. So don't tell me about the virus. Tell me about your relationship with the Lord. And are you pursuing your husband? Are you pursuing your spouse, your wife? They were created to be pursued. Well, he, he doesn't initiate. Yeah. He doesn't initiate. You know why? We've been trained not to initiate in all of culture. You know what men are told, what little boys are told from their whole life? Don't look at skin. Don't touch. Don't think. Don't chase. Don't look it up. Don't search it. Don't ask. Don't ever shut down, shut down, shut down, shut down. Most of us have learned. Be totally shut down all the time. (laughs) So you know what you have, ladies? You have a husband who shut down. You know what he needs? Permission. He needs to know that you want him. And if you don't give him a clear signal, you're going to be sitting over there going, gosh, I want, he's not pursuing me. Yes, because he's been trained his whole life. Sex is bad, which we've disproved earlier. And that shouldn't be pursued. That's going to corrupt him. And he's guilty We have beat the hell out of our men with sexuality. And culture has big guns and bats with spikes and chains, and they are continuing to beat on men crazily. Rescue your spouse. Pursue him. Hey, honey, come here. Sit sit down. Here, just hold my hand. It won't take much. But your husband's probably shut down because he thinks he's supposed to be. he has freedom how are you pursuing him because I tell you what when you pursue him he will start pursuing you it's the weirdest thing living in California is the weirdest thing I moved out to Arkansas we worked at a big Bible Belt church in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt we got all these men and they all dress the same and they got belts on and they hang their phone on their hip and I was like oh that's how I'm supposed to dress so I started dressing that way and we started getting involved in it It it's the weirdest thing all like so many women in that culture we're talking about how women need to pursue their husbands it's like what are you talking about you're so behind the times you should come out to California and learn how real culture is supposed to work you know I figured out they're smarter than we are We got all weird sexuality going on all over California in crazy, crazy ways. You know what they're working on in Arkansas? Many of the married couples that I met there, there's no weird sexuality. They're taking care of each other. They're raising kids. They got morals and ethics. They're adopting people that need help. They give money to the church. They go on mission trips. The place is called the Bible Belt for a reason. And you know one of the things that's going on there that's not going on here? The husbands and wives are pursuing each other. Not everybody are there exceptions to the rule. Yeah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Is Arkansas better than California? Don't start that with me. But there is a concept that you have to understand. You pursue your own spouse, period. And you engage in things that you mutually agree on. That's when it's awesome. All right. Uh, that was number four, mutually agreed on and pursued. Number five, let's fly through these. Uh, it's been protected with self-control. There are so many references to this in the passage that we looked at, verse four, five, nine, 10 through 17, really. It says, how do, you, how do you pursue your sexuality? You protect it with self-control. And what does it get into in 10 through 17? This whole idea of are you a believer? Are they a believer? Who cares whether they are or not? Are you? That's the most important thing. Are you pursuing your 
relationship to the Lord. Jesus paid it all. To him are you owed all? Are you giving it all to him or not? How are you protecting it? How are you being under self-control? Watch what Hebrews says about it. The mystery writer of Hebrews, chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Remember those who are in prison. Wait, I thought we were talking about sex and marriage. How'd we get on to prison? Watch this. This is a weird roller coaster ride here. Ready? Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Hey, within the church, they're in the body. You're not maybe in prison, but they are. But you're all part of the body of Christ and you should be empathizing with them, right? And by the way, in your pursuit of being part of the body, make sure that your marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Why is that paired with taking care and thinking of the people in prison. Why? Because when your marriage falls apart, when your sexuality goes south, you lose track of the responsibilities of great things in ministry or mission or care, service, whatever you could be doing because it's all been sidetracked because one of the primary things, primary tools, helps, foundations for you has been compromised, your marriage. Protect your marriage. Protect the bed of your marriage. Make it safe. Make it holy. Don't let anything in. And then you could actually help people in prison. Isn't that weird? How that comes together? And then watch this. Let, let the marriage bed be held in high honor among all, right? And verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What? Now we're talking about first prison, then marriage, and the marriage bed. Now money? What? No, here's the concept. Be content with what you have. Could that apply to more than just the money? Oh. Be content with what you have. Could that apply to your spouse? It could. Could that apply to who's in the body of your church? And should be praying for them or worrying about them if they're in prison or they're in a bad spot? Should be caring about them? Yeah. Why? Because you care about your marriage, you care about your sexuality, you're taking care of all that stuff because you've learned how to be content with what you have. Ooh, contentment, one of the greatest spiritual disciplines there is. Right? Along with all the other ones. Right? That's Hebrews. Uh, and then look at this one, Job. I'm going to give you wisdom. You know, we're getting wisdom from a queen, wisdom from a king, and we're, we're getting wisdom from the oldest guy we know. Job. This is chapter 31. We're so far into the book. The book's almost over. It's like two-thirds done, right? And watch what Job says. Job, uh, who is sinless before the Lord. There's none righteous like him. That's what the book says. Watch what it says. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? Ooh. What's he learned? Self-control. Women are not for looking at, oogling at, whatever. And what does he say? I have made a covenant with my eyes. He didn't make a deal. He didn't make a promise. He made a covenant. What's a covenant? Forever. I will protect where my eyes go. This is the earliest book, as, as far as we can tell, this is the earliest book written in the Bible. And from the very beginning, prior to even when Genesis was written, where they... Accounted? He says, here's one of the things. Be careful with your eyes. Be careful what you do. Protect your marriage. Protect your sexuality. Protect it with your body, right? What would my portion from God above and my heritage from the Almighty on high, what would it be like if he violated those things? Is not calamity for the unrighteous and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and number all my steps? When your sexuality goes weird, you know, Job says, one of the oldest guys ever, he says, here's what happens. Calamity, disaster, iniquity, and God's watching. Is that a threat God's watching? Or how about it's a promise? Because if you're having trouble and if you're struggling, God's watching, he knows, and he knows you need a way out and you need help and you have resources. 
Come talk to your pastor. Go see a counselor. How about you engage with your spouse? Whatever it is. But you got to do it. You got to protect it with self-control. Number six, uh, it's a lifetime commitment. Verses 10 and 11, 12, 13 just talks about how this is for life. And then Proverbs 5 says it this way. Proverbs 5, 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. We read it earlier. Why does it say it like that? Because it's, it's implying that it's for life. That you remember who you've always had. And you're still with them. And you're enjoying them and learning and expanding. It's a lifetime commitment. And then lastly, and this, this is like, this is the big one, I think, on this. Right here. Ready? Sex was created to be less important than faith. Everything will get messed up for you and our culture and everybody and your family and your spouse when sex is too important. It's not. It's only one piece of the puzzle, and many of us treat it like it's the whole picture. What I want you to see from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 17, it starts off talking about sexuality and marriage and spends more time talking about faith and belief and your spouse and your kids and being content with what you have and being called to the life that he's given you. Get your faith right. Get your belief right. And then trust God that he has paid it all and all to him you owe. And then invest, commit, sign a covenant with yourself that you're going to look at what, what would it be like over the long term to do what he's called you to. And how would it pay off? You see, we're trying to define uh, what a marriage is supposed to look like rather than covering all the options and all the other things that happen and opportunity costs. We want to see what God wants it to look like. You know what he wants it to look like? We're going to close with this. God wants your life to look like a flosser. You know what a flosser is? Have you seen these? Here, I'll put it over my head. A great background contrast. That's a flosser. You floss your teeth with it, right? What are these for? They're for one mouth. Do you share these things? <laughs> no, you don't. Do you do it in public? No, you don't. It's just, you use it once in one scenario, that's it. You don't share it. You don't publicize it. You don't pass it around. You don't have multiple mouths that you use it. This is your sexuality. It's a flosser. I was flossing my teeth the other day. I thought, oh, this is the definition of sexuality right here. One flosser, one person, that's it from now on. Okay? One more confirmation that you have a goofy pastor. Amen? Let's pray, and, uh, and I want to pray for you, because next week can be rough. can be rough. All right? Lord, thanks for our relationship with you. Thanks, Lord, for your relationship with us. Mostly, Lord, uh, help us to understand that you actually have definitions. You have clarity. We have distractions and confusion and mystery. We have experiments. We have trial and error. We're so glad that you're watching from on high. You know our steps. You know what we're going to struggle with. You know what we need. And so therefore you designed a plan of how it's supposed to work. I pray, Lord, you would help us to pursue it in ways that honor you and bless those around us. Lord, sexuality is so tangled up. It's such a mess. I fear there would be no hope if it weren't for you. Yet yeah, we have you, so there's every hope and assurance that you can guide us, protect us, heal us. Lord, for those that need direction, I, I pray you give it to them. You would overflow their cup with direction. 
pray, Lord, for those that have been abused or confused or made mistakes. Relieve guilt, lift blame, bring healing, Lord, and forgiveness. May we be reminded that you paid it all, that you went to the cross so that our sexuality would not hurt us or kill us, that there is a way out no matter what, all of the time, you guarantee it. If that's you this morning, ask for it. Lord, I need healing. I need to feel you. I need to fix some things. Help me. I need to pursue my spouse. I need to be open when my spouse pursues me. I need to move on from things in my past. I need to believe that I'm healthy and whole, that I'm fixed, that I'm worth. Make that clear to us, Lord. Father, we thank you for all these things in the offering that will come electronically or in the mail. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.